Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 17 of Platform Enterprise. I'm your host, Rachel Donald, and this week I had the pleasure of speaking with the Twins Wolf, an awesome twin double act committed to highlighting the ecological and cultural impact of climate change and what we can do about it. It was super fun speaking to these two. I know you're going to have a great time listening. So before you go, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review if you're feeling generous. All right, I won't keep you from them any longer. Enjoy the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really, really happy to have you on the show, especially happy that Heather recommended you guys because you seem to have this wonderful intersection of science and culture. And it's really fascinating what you bring to the world. Oh, thank you. It's thank you for being here. Yeah. <laughs> Are we your first, um, well, twins and two people like, doing the, the Yes, Ooh, both. Cool. So double whammy. Mm-hmm. Check that mm-hmm. box. It's going to be like, <laughs> like juggling, except not. Like not even close. (laughs) So Chris, you are the hydrologist Mm -hmm. and Ryan, you're the cultural pathfinder. Chris, you want to kick us off first of all to to talk about what you do and how you do it? Sure. I am a hydrologist. It's, uh, I'm a water scientist. Essentially what I do is focus on improving the environment really with water. So that's restoration of endangered habitats, ecosystems, animals. Water is ubiquitous. It's everything to our planet. Um, You know, you look at other planets in our solar system, we're searching for water. There are planetary hydrologists. We have to have water to survive. Most of our body is water. Um, Everything we do really in some manner can probably be connected to water. And so what I do as a hydrologist is I connect those dots to people, to the environment, to how we interact with it, how we grow with it, and how to our detriment we impact it. So that's kind of in a nutshell what I do as a hydrologist. I can talk water literally for 24 hours, probably straight. So and and he has, yeah, he has. <laughs> yes. Sorry, I think the record is yes. 72 hours. Nonstop, IV <laughs> in the veins, go. And Ryan, what about you? How would you define being a cultural pathfinder? I'm sure that's a term that not everybody has heard. Sure, for me, being a cultural pathfinder is finding out the reasons behind. A particular culture, a region, the the who, what, when, where, why of a society, and, and that doesn't mean current society. It's definitely included. But what happened in ancient societies, and especially complementing what Chris does on the hydrology side, where if you have an ancient society, Native Americans, Egyptians, then why were they successful? Why were they not? And to, to find mm-hmm. that path and to really dive deep into their successes and the pitfalls so that we can learn from both. So we can emulate successes and learn from the pitfalls to avoid them and, and really enjoy it because then we can dive deeper into different cultures. And culture is one of the, the many things in this world that's so amazing because there's so many and each culture is so unique. So diving down and taking a path into each culture is what I seek to do uh, and compliment to Chris. Oh, wow, that's amazing. How, how did you start that? Did you just like be like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is all. I'm going to go off and I'm going to explore cultures and I'm going to figure out how they did it. Like it, it's such a kind of special, unique thing. Yes, for, for me, it, cult, it, culture is such a, a neat thing because first it's, it's, it spans generations, right? You don't get a culture just by snapping fingers. It spans a long, long time. And just like a person, a person, an individual person, I would argue, 
has their own particular culture due to their family and their environment. Now just extrapolate that, make that uh, micro to a macro, and then you have this massive culture. Let's use the Chinese culture, which is very, very old dynasties, right? You can see a lot of what exists today if you study their culture back in the dynasty. How they think more of a collective, how they interact with each other. So I was always fascinated about that. And so I pursued that in my education, uh, in my undergrad with uh, a minor in history because I just, I'm a nerd with that, with history and how we got to where we're at. Because, uh, and again, just touching on it again, if we don't know where we're at presently and we don't know how we got here, we don't know where we're going. So I love that piece of the, the mm. culture. And again, it's just so different. Uh, it's, it's dynamic. If you look in Europe, there are, you have Europe, but each country within Europe definitely has a different culture. And each of them are beautiful and different and challenging and dynamic. So that's, that's my passion behind it. And that's why mm. I, I like the pathfinder idea. Because then it's not a clear path. Mm. You have to find it. If that makes wow, sense. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it, sure. it, it does. It's like uh, making history. You guys have like this hashtag make science sexy. Ooh. It's like making history sexy. Boom. Rachel, you just came up with another hashtag for us. Oh, can I copyright that? Yeah, <laughs> all yours. <laughs> making history sexy. So how, how does it fit together? Sure. Yeah, I kind of started it. I guess the, the idea behind Adventure Hydrology was first to start showing people what's going on in the world of water and, and it's kind of mentioned previously everything's water i was working as a hydrologist for the united states fish and wildlife service jumped in to the rio grande which is the fourth largest river system in the united states it is totally diverted out of its banks you know, the fourth largest river system and then because of that the habitat was essentially just for very extended summertime periods destroyed the habitat's gone so fish and wildlife service got an atvs drove up river till we found it till we saw where there wasn't a diversion and we started rescuing as many endangered fish that can be found nowhere else on the planet and then after we were done rescuing as many as we could we drove them to the only place in the world where they are bred and saved and then we put them back in the river when the flows returned and i asked my colleagues why don't we tell people we do this and how long have we been doing this? And, and they said 20 years and, and didn't give me a really good rationale as to why they didn't tell people that that is what science is. And that's what hydrology can be. And so I was like, okay, well, this is stupid. We need to find a way to show people that, that the way we save the world, so to speak, and as, as this little tiny fish as a proxy is to get out there and have fun doing it, go and adventure. And so that kind of was the rationale for starting Adventure Hydrology. And then Ryan and I like to explore a lot. We travel a lot together. And I brought him into it with his cultural expertise and background in history and politics. He was able to take what I'm saying scientifically or hydrologically or whatever, you know, the ology associated with it and add this really dynamic human element. And I think that is kind of how we came together in this kind of purpose. So how does the, the river wasn't diverting itself, that was people. Ryan can talk to you about why people are diverting it. I'll talk to you about what happens when we do. And so it really allowed to connect or bridge that divide between mm -hmm. actions of 
people in politics and the reaction of the environment. And so it's it seemed to be really fun. Plus, you know, we goof around and have a lot of fun, and and it's a lot lot easier to produce these episodes when they're one, two cameras, and two two people running around like you know adventurous idiots sometimes, as we we often seem to be, mm. which again is just a fun dynamic and something that is what we do. Mm-hmm. And we want to make it engaging, right? History is sexy. Science is sexy. But if you just open a textbook and read, it could be, uh, it's like trying to swallow dry leaves. What are you doing, right? Have you tried to swallow dry leaves? I'm in California. We don't have leaves. <laughs> <laughs> Palm trees. So what we, we want to engage and, and bring people to those areas and experience the science and the history and the culture and then get you there. We, we take you there, but we challenge people to go themselves to see how these fish are so important to an environment. If those fish aren't there, it's going to cascade into very, very dramatic mm-hmm. effects. Yeah. Trophic cascade, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Funny. Trophic cascade. Yeah. yeah. It's a thing. It is a thing. <laughs> and part of that is those fish were there, again, going to the culture side. Native Americans were in that area that Chris described. The fish were just fine. So what, what can we do to sustain the culture and the science? But we want to bring you there too. The mission seems so clear to me about kind of creating like a full picture about what's happening, what's happened in the past and what's happening in the world today. Because certainly what it seems for me, one of the problems that we continue to encounter is that there's this kind of disconnect between um, action and, and consequence. So why, as a species, as a conscious species right now, we're not taking more action to solve these small issues that could really help with climate change? Well, it's because people don't understand that politics impacts culture and culture impacts the environment and science impacts the environment. And like we tend to treat all of these problems as separate moving pieces, whereas actually it's the friction between them that is creating so many of the, of the issues today. And, and that, is, that is the problem. I think that that friction isn't seen. You know, humans are reactionary. We don't, we don't change things mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we want to. We change things almost because we're forced to. And I think we are reaching that point where we yeah. won't have, we, we would have we crossed a threshold and we will never get back to that threshold. So knowing that it exists in front of us, and like you said, the right, right people knowing it and, and understanding that that friction is that push point um, that we we need to not get to that threshold so we can fix the, the the trials and tribulations that we've set up for ourselves that the generations before us have set up for themselves or for us because if we don't it's it's to our detriment which is to use a scientific word a bummer and and Chris I know you and I have talked about and Rachel what, what we use as an analogy to describe this are the dinosaurs right the asteroid hit and created a climate event. It's not the asteroid that necessarily killed the dinosaurs. I mean, it definitely killed anything near where that asteroid impacted, (laughs) period. (laughs) But it was the the series of events, the the cascade of events that created the the mass extinction on Earth. And now, who are, where is this asteroid? Yeah. We are, we humans. Are the asteroid the impact is is already affecting us it's whether we want to make a decision and to take that action that you point out because there's a disconnect between uh 
the action and the consequence. We need to take the action now or the consequence will be great. We are the asteroid. It's already impacting. Mm. It's do we want a mass extinction or are we going to do something about it? Mm, yeah yeah and it, it's this proactivity mm-hmm, as, mm-hmm. as you're saying like this is rather than being reactive um and understanding like the interconnectedness between all of these things and the fact that it's so often like lots of small actions and i, I can't get out of my mind right now something from like a chemistry class I had 12 years ago. I want to make a metaphor about like chemical bonds or something. Yeah. I don't know if my subconscious is trying to show off here. Um, <laughs> Do it. Come on. I want to no, hear this. Ionic or covalent. Something about... <laughs> Oh, yeah, you could, you could do um, hydrogen oh. bonds. That's how you can put a needle on top of a glass of water or you can stack um, like a bunch of drops of water on a on a penny or any coin. How oh, it's, it's like 25 drops or something. OK, so there you go. There there's there are deeper bonds and we see them you know, <laughs> and, and we have literally those bonds inside of us. if We're talking water wise. Mm. So I, I think you nailed it on the head. It is. Thanks. It is, Thanks yeah, so much. Totally. You saved me from myself. There. <laughs> no, you, you just blew my mind. Yeah. Was, wow. Oh, yeah. There's all this cool stuff. So thank you. <laughs> it's just this, this thing of like people being kind of unaware um, of just how much into like just how interconnected everything is. And the fact that so many different changes need to happen and like there's this real kind of greenwash and I'd really like to get into this with you guys if, mm. if, if you're interested. There's this kind of greenwashing wave where um, when we can see negative results and I'm thinking of like plastic and the plastic pollution in the oceans and people's emotional reaction to that and the that reaction has been to ban plastic in a lot of places and to, to switch to, to paper which is directly against the science that says like the last thing that we need to be doing is using paper for disposable products um, because of the water use, because of the pollution, because, you know, trees are not renewable, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. Yes. Um, there is this kind of reactivity or hope that we're going to find one solution to our problems rather than really understanding these, these bonds that connect everything and, and the culture mm-hmm. that underpins that. Am I right in kind of thinking that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think so. Yeah. Tell me how, um, like, when you guys first started working on adventure hydrology together, how each of your perspectives informed each other, and how they evolved because of that. It was it was Salton Sea where we had our our first adventure. Mm-hmm. So the the largest lake in California is man made by a mistake. Way back in the day. Kind of by greed as well. I'll call yeah. it, like, yeah. So go for it, Ryan. Humans? Greedy? Nah. Crazy. Well, Chris, fill in. You're the hydrologist. <laughs> okay. I'm just the history and culture. So Cool. History of the salt and sea in a nutshell. Um, yeah, in a nutshell. The Colorado River used to flow, and it would fill up this massive area. And if you look on a topographical map of California, it, you could just see it. It's just this huge bowl valley. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, the river diverted. Every once in a while, it overrun its banks it would fill up this lake again rinse repeat humans came in diverted the colorado river and now this lake is dying unfortunately this lake Mm. is also it's it's enormous and i think at its deepest it's only now six feet deep and it is polluted and it smells like eggs and the san andreas fault runs right under it yeah the oldest section too it's really cool mm -hmm. some really cool stuff down there so 
so this lake is dying. Uh, it's in fact it's dead. And the, this is the policy and the culture side that I I love is that the state of California is allowing it to die. They're not helping it. Mm. And what this will inevitably create are dust storms. We have these storms, uh, wind storms called Santa Ana's, where the desert wind blows into San Diego. Well, this desert wind's going to pick up all of this ag, this pollution that no one wants. Yeah, legacy ag. Essentially, there's a lot of farms around it that are just growing alfalfa. So it's highly fertilized, um, a lot of phosphorus, a lot of things you don't want to actually inhale. Correct. So continue. You, you don't I'm want just throwing in the hydro yeah. stuff. Boom. Mm -hmm, Bad mm -hmm. boy, Chris. Yep. And and so it's going to pick up this dust and it's going to send it to San Diego and uh, surrounding areas. And we're going to breathe in this dust. So it's going to kill us. And there's no action being done about it. They're just going to let this lake die and they're going to let us inhale these pollutants. So that, going back to your, your question and going full circle here, Chris and I went on this adventure to go visit this lake, to bring awareness that this lake is a big problem. Is it a problem right now? Yeah, but will it be a huge problem later? Absolutely. Right. It's it's generational. Yeah. It's not it it's that disconnect again where just cuz it's not a problem right this second doesn't mean we don't need to address it because it will definitely be a problem in the near future. And even kind of to that point as Ryan had mentioned, this lake had naturally existed off and on for periods of time, eons. Mm -hmm. There's stories in Native American cultural history and uh, Mexican cultural history that have mm -hmm. talked about this gigantic inland lake or sea. And changing the regime of the Colorado River, we, we can talk about that forever. That's actually the river I'm protecting now as a hydrologist. But changing that regime essentially changed this, this place where normally there would be a lake. That lake is now, because it exists, home to millions of birds that, that migrate across North America to South America or anywhere in between. And humans over time have destroyed a lot of the lakes they used to go to. So this is one of the final places they actually have to breed, to live, to, to thrive on their way to what they've done for generations upon generations. You know, yeah. nature, Hell, take a break. Yeah, it's nature being yeah. nature. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of restored this, this flyway ecosystem and now are in action because it didn't exist, which is kind of what people are saying, and that is a blunt lie, because it did naturally. Our, our inaction or our looking at the past and acting like it's not a true history is now going to potentially destroy this habitat that is one of the last habitats left. So it's, it is that, that's, that's kind of Ryan Mind's dynamic. He's talking the, the policy side, the why people are going to kill it. I'm saying, here's what happens if we do, and it, we shouldn't, and that's rationale. And if you walk to it, that's what we did. We walked from a marina, which you can't launch boats mm -hmm. from anymore because it's not a marina. It's also, that's, it's cool, there, there are volcanoes down there. Yes. But we walked, it took us a solid 35 minutes to get to the edge of the sea, and when we got there, it was like three inches deep, and there were fish kills, and it was swampy and gooky, and mm -hmm. it's really cool. I recommend checking out the episode if you want to see just this black, disgusting water mm. yeah but that's the kind of connection that we do have it's this what are people doing okay what's happening to the environment and what the hell can we do to stop either people or help the environment or get enough people together so that we all recognize look this is something that we've created this is something we can fix or this is something that you know, we can kind of step back and let nature restore itself you know 
with the big push to remove dams or whatever it may be. Nature is, it finds an equilibrium and all we have to do is remove the one point, the one added element, and that is often us. And, and nature kind of find a way, way to find its balance. So, yeah, good stuff. Okay, but, but how can we... How can we do that? Well, also, I mean, you know, we have, we have a, a hyper-populated planet. Um, you know, what about the, the knock-on effects on, on people? Um, when talking about removing um, the asteroid, remo removing our, I don't know, involvement in certain places... Um, Ryan, maybe you can speak to this a little bit. Like, is, does that potentially put communities at risk often? Or are there real clear cases where, nope, if we just step back and let nature do its thing, that would benefit the habitats, the ecosystems, and it would also benefit us? Yes and no. It, it depends where, right? In the example we're talking about, the Salton Sea, if we don't do something, it's going to negatively affect us. So we should probably do something that would positively mm. affect us. In other areas, we've done something mm. like um, Washington State, where we've built dams that have destroyed salmon populations. Maybe we take down those dams. It's going to be billions of dollars to do it. But is it the right thing to do? Will it help the community? Is it worth the cost? That's that's up to that community. And, mm. and that's what we try to look at. And that's what we try to, to push as well, is that we're two people, four people make a, a, a louder noise, 10 people make louder. If we can build a community to make an assessment of what is best for that community and make a positive change, even if it costs money, isn't positivity better than negativity? Isn't, isn't progress better than stagnation? So I, I would say yes, but it's really up to that particular community. It's the community itself is gonna be affected and they need to make that conscious decision, an educated decision, not a, a guttural decision where it's just off, off cuff, off whim. It's, it needs to be educated. It needs to be a collective decision, as I see it. Have you come across examples that would adequately reflect um, on, on a micro level what we're up against globally? with climate change so on a micro level that we can't do anything about that we um no no no, not that we can't do anything about but maybe it one of your episodes where that this the particular example of the waterway and the culture and the problems that are that are faced is kind of emblematic of the the global inaction or the global misunderstanding mm. or or yeah it's, it's just reflective of, of the challenges that we, we face chris how about how about the severe drought that we're going to be in for the next forever in a day Ooh. and the and the demand on water that's scary <laughs> um and, and that's global right that's going to affect europe that's going to that's going to change weather patterns i can take that so there's we kind of mentioned it. i'll i'll try to say this quick but we can probably point to a couple things in, in the United States. One of the adventures it, we went on is Monterey Bay. It's um, it's in the coast of California, you know, a little south of San Francisco for just geographical reference. It's this beautiful bay that has an amazing canyon that thousands of humpback whales and actually just thousands of, of sea creatures either migrate through or live in. Um, what had happened there is 
through through some rationale, people wanted uh, sea otters. They wanted sea otters coats because they made really cool hats or whatever it was. And so what happened is they started hunting those apex predators, so to speak, and it created something called trophic cascade. And we kind of mentioned it before because it it's a thing. But trophic cascade is either adding or subtracting this natural element from, from nature in this case. And we, we have influenced this. By removing the sea otters, what happened is the uh, food that they eat, sea urchins, then started eating more and more and more kelp, which destroyed the kelp forests. And so the kelp forests, without those forests being there subsurfacely you know, beneath the ocean, that essentially created this whole massive ecosystem die-off. So just removing one one piece of that um, created this, this trophic cascade. I always kind of compare it to a Jenga tower. You know, we can all picture that. You keep moving pieces out of a Jenga tower, and eventually that tower is going to fall. That is the collapse of the ecosystem, and if you keep moving those pieces, that is the trophic cascade. You can also add pieces back, and so once they stopped hunting the sea otters, the kelp forest returned because they were eating the urchins and so on and so forth. We see this with uh, wolf reintroductions and elk populations being healthier because they eat the, the young and the the old, the sick, and the weak. You know, it, it actually helps these populations ecologically. And so those are just kind of some of the adventures we've we've come on. And I think what what we one thing I've been kind of following is there's a gigantic iceberg that is racing towards South Georgia Island. It's an island um, kind of off the coast of South America. Actually, not kind of off the coast, off the coast of South America. Um, that has very, very, very little human contact, but is this spectacular ecosystem that is virtually untouched except for um, some, some minor tourism. And that iceberg is, I want to say, actually it's like this, it's larger than whales for our European oh audiences. Oh my God. Yes, exactly. That's how big this iceberg is, to give you some size. For, for America, it's like New Jersey maybe. I don't, I don't know. But it is... Heading towards South Georgia Island, it broke off of um, an ice sheet of Antarctica, and it may just run aground and, and melt there for a long, long time, which will affect a lot of different things that scientists aren't exactly aware of yet. But yeah, that is that a chunk of ice that big has broken off, and that is because of climate disruption. I'm getting away from climate change. That's I think we have to start changing the messages we use because people are adverse to certain terms, and I think that is nowadays one of them, climate change. I'm going to say climate disruption. So because of climate disruption, this big ice chunk fell off and it wouldn't have naturally happened. Now that could impact this very spectacular natural habitat that no one's really been to, um, except for you know scientists and some, some maybe affluent travelers, because it's very hard to get to. But it is going to have an impact. And that's kind of that little microcosm of, yeah, we did cause something. And though I'm hoping to go on an adventure there, it's going to affect a lot of other things that we're not even aware of yet. So it's, you know, it's, it's kind of telling those stories. Yeah. So, and maybe I got off a little tangent, but that's mm, kind of No. Helpful. Okay. I would like to stay on this iceberg. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, is this like the biggest one that's ever broken off? I don't know. Why do I not know about it? Why don't like, you know about it? That's a good question. Yeah, I, I actually want to say that I got the the comparison to whales from BBC. So thank you, oh. BBC, for doing world reporting. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, yeah, someone, someone needs... I don't know about it because I'm not following the BBC closely enough. Uh, I read a lot of science stuff. That's one yeah. of the things that kind of, you know, but it, it's something I enjoy because that's what I'm trying to fight. Uh, it does drive home a point, though, that it's all the way at the bottom of South America. Is it going to affect you? Yes. Yeah. It will. Yes. yes exactly. <laughs> it will affect you. But but do you see it? It's, uh, you know, being we grew up in the, the heartland of the United States in Missouri, and we have tornadoes. Mm. Have you ever been in a tornado? Because we have. It's hard to even imagine that they're real. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> Correct. To, to see this funnel that is spitting wind out and throwing straw through two by fours, like just insane. But without experiencing it, you don't know the impact. Yeah, it's, it affects you because that storm is still heading east. You know, that storm will inevitably, if it swings north, it's going to hit uh, the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. If it continues, it'll hit Europe. It's, it's this always evolving weather system, right? This world weather pattern. That said, that storm definitely destroyed some stuff and it affects a lot of people. But without actually being in it, you don't have that uh, sense of ownership. And I think that's, uh, that's a systemic problem we have. And, and to point out what you said, when you, when you say, when, when you ask, are there micro examples that lead to a bigger global issue? Absolutely, everything. If something happens like the iceberg, that is an issue for the world uh, because mm-hmm. that's not the only one that's going to happen. It's not a freak occurrence. That's our mm-hmm. future. I, uh, Greenland is melting. And rebounding. So ch- and rebounding, yeah. And, it, yeah, which means it's actually lifting, right? The ice is melting, so the weight of the ice is no longer there because it's gone, and Greenland is rising. So, so Greenland's top mountain, let's say it's, I don't know, 2,000 meters, it's, it might be 4,000 by the time that ice sheet's gone because like a flotation device in a bathtub or a pool, if you push it down, that's the weight. If you release it, it's going to rise. Nonetheless, that's going to affect the Atlantic. The Atlantic will cool. It will change the weather patterns. Who knows? We know the science. Good stuff, yeah. right? I know. It's, we'll try not to get too doom so, and gloomy. So for, no, please do. I love doom. Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> I know, but we, we got to well, change that. Yeah, like, you know, that's, that's the whole well, point. Is. That's it's, true. We got to be optimistic. We got to be bold. We can change it. That's the thing is that if we can, make, if we can draw more awareness as a community mm. to these issues that affect you, whether you know it or not, and we can show you and mm. take you there and say, this iceberg does affect you in Wales. Hey, it's the size of you. You will care more. Yeah. You will know. And that's what we're trying to do with, uh, with Adventure Hydrology is to bring you there, mm. to see your planet, to, to make sure that you see the impact. Whether it's perceived or real, it's always mm. going to be real. Yep. Yeah, and I'll send you. I've, I just looked it up really quick. I'll send you the entire thing um, from the South Georgia Island Association. It's cool. You can read about it. They have a podcast maybe or, or some sort of webinar from a British scientist who are studying it. So I'll send it your way. You'll, you'll be able to check it out and you can tell. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's pretty gnarly. I'll put it, I'll put it in the gnarly. gnarly. Again, scientific <laughs> terms. I only use scientific terms. Gnarly. I've got so much going through my, my mind right now. One of the things is like, given the state of catastrophe, that the state of emergency that we're in globally is like, why are we speaking about anything else on the news ever, pretty much? And 
the second has completely slipped my mind. <laughs> wow. Because you have a lot of in your mind. That's what, you know, you just, it's okay. Oh, okay. yes. No, I know. Mm. It would seem to me that water is underrepresented in the climate come back. debate. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot, a lot, a lot about uh, carbon pollution, about, about greenhouse gases in, in general, and about degrees, like temperatures rising. And I'm amazed at, well, I mean, I hadn't even thought about it that much, actually, before I spoke to Heather. But yeah, I'm amazed at the lack of information that's being pushed out about water why why do you think that is I'll, I'll i'll jump on that one since i'm kind of a water dude so i think the driving force the catalyst for why the the earth is warming is because of an increase of greenhouse gas emissions or you know the trapping of that so i think that's why everyone's like oh we need to stop driving cars and stop polluting this and that i think water is frequently missed in the sense that that is being most affected it is not necessarily a thing. We can't we can't go grab that iceberg and really do much. People have talked about it, like bringing icebergs and fresh water to places without water. But but that is the thing that is being affected the most. You know, we hear about glaciers melting or droughts or um, feasts and famines and whatever it is. That that is a huge disconnect. Is that sure greenhouse gases are X, Y, and Z, and we definitely need to get a hold of those. But the thing that are affecting the most is weather, and weather is water you know, humidity in the air is water temperatures is drying of the ground which is water it's all i've said it it's all water it doesn't matter um i'm biased is all hell but i also admit that <laughs> so i think that we we talk about it but not directly the thing that is affected is always going to be water because without it we can't do anything else and so yeah those conversations are never really being focused upon and um to that end, you again, it's climate change is all about sustainability and composting and this and that. But yeah, no one ever talks. No one ever talks about water in that same way. And so I'm I'm trying to change that. Ryan's trying to change that you know, without doing the doom and gloom. But that's where we're going to see it. That's where we're going to see the most effect is in our water resources because that's the thing on the planet besides perhaps oxygen, which is also part of water. Um, H2O, you know, that is the mm. most important thing that we have for everything that we're aware of on the planet. I, I don't exactly know how to carry that conversation to connect those dots yet, mm -hmm. but I think people sure in hell need to talk more about water and what's going on with it. And I, I think uh, from a cultural and a historical perspective, isn't it easier to point blame at someone or something like culturally? We could say carbon emissions are because of oil producers. It's easy to say these big corporations are polluting, and they sure are. And these farmers and the, their operations are polluting. So we have, we have a scapegoat, or we at least have someone to point at. Uh, and then historically, look at the Industrial Revolution. No one, when uh, Great Britain started, America, United States followed, mm -hmm. and we still have nations, cultures that are in their industrial mm. revolution, China and India, even though they're making solar panels and, and their technology is better, they're still polluting so much, just like they're in their industrial revolution, because it's cheap. And all that stuff takes water, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So I think, it, I think part of the cultural and the historical piece is that we always, as a society, want to point at someone and say, you're doing bad, because then we have a, someone to go after. 
where water it's more difficult. Europe shares a bunch of rivers, right? So different intergovernmental organizations need to come together, for instance, the European Union, right, mm -hmm. as that, that group mm -hmm. and manage their resources, especially, in, you brought it up earlier, Rachel, about population. It's only going to get worse. Yeah. But who do we blame? Do we blame each other? It's easier to blame oil. It's easier to blame a corporation than each other and nations because that leads to a lack of cooperation. I mean, there is definitely, definitely, definitely a lack of responsibility being taken in mm -hmm. a lot of corporations. But I think the, the mistake that I kind of see being bandied yeah. about is this use of the word they. You know, they mm -hmm. is in big oil or they is in government. And it's like, they're just fucking people. They're just people, yes. same as us. They're liable Correct. to mistakes. Their mistakes are far less forgivable because they're not meant to be making them, for sure, certainly, and, you know, government officials. But to think that we, as individuals, would be better in that position is, I think, a, <laughs> a fallible mistake of ego. And it would be far better to kind of come together and be like, well, what's the culture yeah. um, that we're creating mm -hmm. here that is enabling these kinds of people to, to stay in power, to be elected and to be completely either incompetent or uncaring? Uh, like, why are we mm -hmm. rewarding this kind of, um, pff, I don't know, negative behavior. feedback? Yeah, negative yeah. behavior. Or, yeah. Or, or lack thereof, right? No behavior. Yeah, exactly. That, and I think you, that's a great point. How, how do we continually see these issues and yet put people in positions of power that don't do anything about it. You know, is that a reflection of us as voters or us as the constituents they represent? Or is that a perspective of yes. their greed <laughs> and their power and their indifference to the mm. uh, commoners or so on and so forth? Like, what, that's, mm. that's a great to question. Their constituents, yeah. Yeah. But mm -hmm. the, the political systems that we've propped up across the globe in theory, democratically at least, reflect the constituents who elected them. And I can tell you sure in hell, mm -hmm. in the United States at least, that many of the elected officials are rich. That, that does not represent a majority of the United States, yet how are they there? What is perpetuating that? I, can't, I don't know. How did, I don't mm -hmm. want to get into it, but how did a, a terrible reality TV star become any position of power in any way, shape, or form. And how is that even perpetuated now? Like, why, mm -hmm. why are people famous for being famous? Why is that important? Mm -hmm. Why, as, again, I can only really speak to American culture because that's, that's what I'm surrounded by. Why do we perpetuate that? Why is that important? Why are teachers paid so damn less than athletes and um, movie stars when they're just entertainers? What, I don't, why, where is our social structure? Ah, sorry, that's that's a little diatribe off my, that's more Ryan's topic, no. but I'll tell you, that's the questions that we need to answer as a mm -hmm. society mm -hmm. across the globe, in my opinion. And it's the hardest damn thing to change. Culture is by far the hardest thing to change because mm. you need that community. It, a culture is not an individual. It's a, it's a society. Mm. That's why it's, it's, and it's different societies. As I said right at the beginning, we have a lot of different societies. Hell, just look at the United States or Europe. You have a similar mindset, similar culture, but boy, if you dive deep into it, it's not. 
It really mm-hmm. doesn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. California is different than Colorado, which is different than Washington, which is yeah. different than Wales, which is different than Scotland, which is different than yeah. Ireland. It's yeah. culturally similar, but the interests are not. They're dissimilar. I think I'm kind of always amazed by the, and we're totally going off topic here. Oh, um, <laughs> this is your show. We can talk about whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm always amazed when people talk about um, countries' economic health, first of all, as mm-hmm. if that's any sign of what's actually going on on ground level for the citizens. Exactly. And then when GDP is kind of like the baseline for, you know, the, the nation's well-being or whatever, yeah. as if that has anything to do with reality, with people, with, with culture. with And I think it's that kind of, I think it's that homogenization of globalization, and of yeah. economics that has enabled us to kind of be like, oh, well, this is the West and this is, you know, Asia and this is, you know, Europe and, and they're all the same mm-hmm. thing and they're all culturally similar. So if we ever get into any problems, it's going to be very, very easy to fix. LOL. I can't believe I just said yeah. that. Yeah, you just, you just LOL. You just, I, don't even... I just LOL. Yeah, I, it was LOL. meant to be ironic. I, I, but... I, no, I think it was. And then you even pointed it I don't out. Think it, it's pretty ironic. Yeah, it was, it was uh, good. I like it. Good. It's good. <laughs> LOL, indeed. Like we 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 have these ways of talking about nations as these abstract cultural beings, and yet they're actually all of these pieces. As we're talking about their their waterways and their lands and their ecosystems and their people and mm-hmm. their communities, um, and that does not seem ideas. to be reflected. And ideas, yeah, culture. Yeah. So how can we get any new ideas? Like how do we change? from the ground up. So so from my perspective, uh, I think we need to, to just realize that the environment and as I would argue, the environment and economies, you've touched on economies, mm. they're connected. Mm. They are, if the environment fails, the economy is gonna fail because you're gonna have mm. to spend more on natural disasters, building massive flood walls to make sure that cities aren't inundated with seawater. So if the environment's not taken care of, the economy is gonna falter. So we need to, I would say right away, get rid of the idea uh, as a collective that they are not connected. They are connected, mm. period. And you can see that with wind energy and solar energy. That's, that's economics and that's environment. It's better for the environment. It's making jobs. So start there. And then once we all collectively agree to this realization from the bottom, we start taking that action. Stop, stop the disconnect and put in place good ideas and put in place an idea. If the idea doesn't work, change the idea, change mm. the task, change the action. It's, there's never a time that you can't go down a path and turn around and find a different path. Mm. But you gotta take some sort of action so that, because inaction is still action. It just doesn't get you anywhere. So I would say start there. May I ask, Ryan, are there any nations that we can look to? In fact, this is a question for both of you. Are there any nations that we can look to that um, are implementing good uh, policies or generally have a better attitude, a proactive attitude towards protecting their waterways, their environment? I would say (laughs) it depends on. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Um, Antarctica? Yeah. Right? That count? Yeah, but remember, that, that's where the iceberg came from. So. Ah. Um, that's, shucks. I think that's really tough. Really, it's... Because I think what, what has 
happened in the past is, or you know, what what people will point out is this consumerism culture that I think is now global. It's this global economy. China produces everything and it goes everywhere. Great. Then we produce stuff here in the United States or Europe as um, a commonwealth, you know, the European Union produces stuff and that's a single economy now. Britain now is its own economy back again and they're going to start exporting to compete. So it's this consumerism. Who can have more or who can sell more and who can make the most? And it, that seems to be the way people are driving their own economies. Or we have these, I think you pointed out, Rachel, very well, like GDP. I think that's a bogus metric. Why don't, what, what happened to like happiness or reasonable health, health. for people? Yeah. <laughs> Why don't we start using fresh those? drinking water? Yeah. The lack of having a pandemic. Or water. Hell, destroy water. your entire country. Like, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. if, if, if we use the pandemic as an example, the United States is a third world country, you know, and we have the biggest military and this healthcare and this and that. We've lost million, hundreds of millions of people because of potential incompetence, but we have the resources to declare war on anybody we want at any time. Why is that yeah. not the same? It's, so it's redefining these metrics that are, that are essentially how we as global citizens see economies working, perhaps. Why do we constantly have to produce more? You know, Heather, uh, our friend, she, she really focuses on sustainable fashion because fashion is not sustainable. You know, not, not in the way that it is mm -hmm. produced. And why? Why do we constantly need more clothes or a different color or brand new this or brand new that? Is that the consumerism? Is that what social media is driving us to do to our detriment? What, mm -hmm. you know, so when it comes to a country, I think it's really difficult to pin one country and saying, yeah, they're doing a great job. The countries that I would, I, I can't pull one off the top of my head, but it would be the ones that are probably some South Pacific country that's trying to save their butts from sea level rise, but they live a, a modest life. They're not worried about consumerism. They're not worried about becoming billionaires and wealth and the next hot thing on Instagram or whatever it is. You know, it, it's those countries that are most disconnected from the global environment that are probably doing the best globally. And because the ones that are connected the most seem to be the biggest polluters, the biggest consumers, you know, um, China, United States, the mm. European Union, Britain, you know, look, look at those GDP numbers and the metrics there. And then also look at the capacity to change and yet the inaction that is happening. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's tough. And it's that competition as well with the, the big players, if you will, you know, to that point. And I think it also deals with administrations in the democratic countries. If you have an administration change, your policies change. And that's supposed to be reflective of your constituents. Whether or not it is, is very arguable. But uh, I know the United States with our latest election is going a different way than we were four years ago. We're back in the Paris mm -hmm. Climate Accord. Uh, we're, we are trying to be a leader. Heck, I, re I read that Texas if it were its own country, produces the fifth most wind energy in the world, yeah. Texas. What? Yeah. Pretty cool. So, oh. so there, there are these opportunities, even in what you would consider maybe a, and Texas is really big oil. They, they have, they are oil, oil, oil. But to think that that state or any country can change based on policy and their culture because they realize that they need to, and economics and environment, right? Yeah. I think that's gonna, uh, I think that's where 
to your to your point, when the nations who have people who put in power and elect officials who want that change, that's when we'll have uh, bigger leaders. I think the Netherlands and the Scandinavian countries, yep. I think they're ahead of the game. I think, again, Rachel nailed it. it starts from the ground up. It's not a top-down approach. Top-down, mm -hmm. people want to maintain whatever level of status or power that they have, and I think the top holds on to that pretty hard because that's often maybe um, wealthier, more affluent populations. So what we have to do is we have to be a catalyst to drive change from the ground, from from the bottom, to then either get those people that don't reflect our values out of power or to change their values as well. And and that's, I think, the tricky thing that we're all going to have to come together to try to achieve. Are you guys worried about politics getting in the way? Because we, we have this ticking time bomb, climate disruption. 2030 is like the first big marker of, you know, I, I think it's carbon emissions need to be reduced by x percent or something uh, by that point there's mm -hmm. 2030 and then there's 2050 which i think is pretty arbitrary and at that mark is really man-made yeah. and not science um, predicted mm -hmm. and it's really hard to imagine that we won't get there it's really hard to imagine that we're going to have a, a climate disruptive apocalypse and we're going to have hordes of poor climate refugees and displaced peoples all over the world and yet policies aren't being put in place to stop that so do you guys think that there is a chance that actually politics is going to get in the way of achieving what needs to be done in the next 10 years go for it ryan yes and no i think it can get in the way and i think it could also be what we need to create that change we, we have to okay. use the tools that we have in place or we have to change the tools or invent something, invent something new. That's going to be tough to do. So can politics be beneficial? Absolutely. Especially if we all agree to the, to the asteroid in the air coming down, right? However, if someone doesn't think that it's going to hit them, <laughs> if they're not going to be affected, mm. or there's a GDP that says, eh, we like that yeah. asteroid, I think there are some that, that do. You know. <laughs> we can <Yeah>. mine it. <laughs> yeah. Politics will inevitably, and I have a fear, I have a fear that it will get in the way. Yes. It has that opportunity. Mm. But again, it has the opportunity to, to be this, the benefactor of, of different policies. Yeah, that's more Ryan's, Ryan's bag. But what it, I'm hoping that politics will start maybe removing the influence of money. You know, that's kind of a big driver. It's politics is is purchased by by money, mm. so to speak, or at least opinions or, or policies that mm. are legislated. I think one thing that I saw these last four years is that if the right or wrong person gets in power, they can kind of be indifferent of everybody's opinion and really there's no consequence for it. So what if there was a person that was elected to some position of power and said, you know what, we're just going to save the world. We're changing it all. And I have, in the United States, I have four years to do it. And I don't care if you like it. And I don't care if you agree with me. I am doing this because I've seen that happen now. Not in the way that I would say it would, was a positive mm -hmm. benefit. But what if someone came in and said, no, we are going to, in four years, 
get rid of oil. We're done with it. We are done with it because we have the resources to do this. We are going to put our power and our strength and our economy towards changing this because if we don't, then here's this 30-30 deadline or here's 100 years from now. And those are abstract numbers because that's a generation. But, but if someone were to say four years from now, here's what we're going to do. And if you don't like it, tough shit because we're going to do this. And we're going to see what happens when we mm -hmm. do and just aggressively like throw it down the political throats of their adversaries like I think we've seen and say, no, we're, we're saving the world. We're not going to be this detriment. We're going to remove these things. I would love to see that. Someone with the, the audacity to say, no, we're, we are going to be this change. We are going to do it. And we're going to show that it can be done quickly because screw you for, for thinking it can't, you know, I think that'd be really cool. And yeah. yeah. And, and to be that change agent and force it and be a jerk about it. You know, if that works in, in um, certain realms of politics, I can't see why that same attitude of indifference can't be utilized to save, to, to, to change things, at least here, you know, um, you know. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, it's not that yeah, I want someone really to be. I hadn't thought about it like that. I, I don't want someone to mm. be that authoritarian kind of perspective. But what if it was for good? <laughs> good is relative, but. You know. Right? That'd be kind yeah, of weird. Totally. Like, no. Yeah, yeah we're, we're yeah, getting rid exactly. of all this crap and I'm making you change <laughs> compost and we're going to put solar on your roof. Damn it, and it's not going to cost you anything. There's your bailout, banks yeah. and businesses. Screw you, America or world. We're yeah. going to save your ass. Wow, that'd be crazy. I'd be like, yeah. I don't like this, but you know what? I kind of yeah. want a hug from this guy or girl. Yeah. You know? Be like, okay. Yeah. Crazy to think about. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's kind of a weird, mm. um, weird perspective. That is very, what very, if? very interesting. Yeah. Like, like Superman, you know, Superman can, he could, obviously he's a fake character, but he could destroy the world at a whim, right? But instead he chooses to protect it, even if people don't like him. It's like, yeah, there you go. It's, where, where's our super person to keep it gender neutral? Why, why don't we have that? And then you, you just throw the money away and just say, I don't care if I'm going to be elected in four years. Yeah. I'm changing this because I have the power to do so. Be crazy. Yeah, what could be done if somebody just took it upon themselves to to be a leader as opposed to a careerist? Yeah, exactly. Which is, I think, not, I know we're off topic, but, um, you know, environmentally, I would love to see more of that kind of connecting those dots. It's not these people worried about oil and gas powers, getting them out of office because they have strong lobbyists, but instead saying, no, you're not going to destroy this pristine habitat that is culturally important to this entire indigenous population. You're, you're just not going to do it. We're going to save it forever. And you'll never be able to fix that. Yeah. But that's, we're not there yet. Even though we're in a state of emergency. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, exactly. In fact, mentioning that emergency, uh, you guys, well, Ryan, you mentioned the drought that's going to last forever in a day. Um, can you tell yeah. me, <laughs> please, about my future? <laughs> well, so uh, the, the earth is, it's a living thing. It has weather patterns, it has tides, it, it moves, it shakes, it talks, you know, it makes sounds as crazy as, and as wonderful as that is. And so in the southwest 
and in Colorado where Chris is and several other of our southwestern states, there's massive drought, which is really going to put a strain. And these are massive droughts with a lot of population because the United States has a lot of people. And so our water resources, which are already constrained, are going to get even more constrained. We're not going to have enough rain. It's going to get hotter. Uh, we talked about the Salton Sea and having toxic dust. That's not going to change. It's only going to get worse. And those weather patterns will inevitably, if it's hotter in one area, it's going to change a weather pattern down the road. So in the Midwest, storms might get stronger because there's no rain. So they build up, they take all that moisture and then dump in the Midwest or East Coast, like we're kind of seeing with uh, the blizzards that are hitting there. And inevitably, it's going to affect Europe. And inevitably, it's going to affect uh, India. And unfortunately, it's going to affect a lot of countries who, and that one weather pattern change, that one drought, uh, that's just one micro area in the world. And there's going to be a lot of different micro areas that are affected because of this new change. And it's going to create a lot of strife especially in those countries that are still developing. In Africa, we're, we're seeing that, right? They're trying to put, the, the desert is getting bigger and Africa's enormous. So if that desert continues to get bigger, the sands are gonna blow into India and then China and then Pacific and guess where they come back to? Back to the American Southwest where we don't have yep. any water. That affects us, but again, going back to the global peace, it really affects everyone. Yeah. We are going to be seeing more dramatic floods in certain places. We are going to see mega droughts, which have occurred without human influence. We are going to see you know, sea levels rise. We already are. There, there's these ocean currents that if we change the temperatures or if we have these dramatic influxes of cold water, uh, they could stop. And if you stop the ocean currents, you've essentially stopped the planet, at least you know, for the, the systems that we have, these migratory aspects of it all, where the food goes for the ocean animals, the way that the, the climate essentially works, you, you've stopped the oscillation of our oceans. And then the, the effects are absolutely apocalyptic if these things occur. And historically, if you go back in, in scientific record, they, they have occurred, but again, without human influence. We are seeing a, a hastening of these influences artificially, more human-induced, you know, and that's that's not going to be a good thing for anybody across anywhere. So, the people that are going to be affected first are going to be the the poorest populations on the planet. I think I read that in the next if by 2050, two-thirds of the entire population of the Earth are going to have some sort of water scarcity issues. We're talking, you know, by that time, nine, 10 billion people and two thirds of them won't have maybe clean water or will be affected by the lack thereof. The, 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 yeah, the projection. Just real quick to add to yeah. that, Chris. Yeah. It's also agriculture. So it's not just drinking water, it's ag, right? You, if you don't have water, you also can't yep. make food. Go on, Chris, sorry. Right. Yeah, yeah it's, I mean, that's, it nails it. Like, like I've kind of said, and as Ryan reiterates culturally and politically, it's you know, what what we do affects everything. And I think everything kind of just in my own personal view is water. And that's we're talking about it across the board. So agriculture, we're talking production, we're talking putting buildings and solar panels and getting coal and what everything, everything will be affected. And I think now we have the opportunity to actually do something about it 
before we reach these thresholds that we see ahead of us and can't ever return to them. It'll be a new normal that we don't want, <laughs> you know, it's, but, mm. but we see it. And I think generations do see it because I, I don't want to just constantly be pessimistic. I think we can be change agents. And I think that we have the responsibility to be change agents, if not for ourselves, for our kids, and if not for our kids, for our freaking planet. I mean, it's, I take deep breaths every time I step yeah. outside because that this place is keeping me, you, us, anyone that's listening to this or taking a nap right now or flying in an airplane or eating some food. It sustains them. It keeps us alive. What's the main piece of advice that you guys would give um, somebody who wants to be a change agent, who wants to make sure that they're doing what they can to protect our, our water sources and, and our culture? So for water... Water's everything. So you can do really small things, um, compost, take shorter showers, turn off the, the sink when you're brushing your teeth. If you have grass, stop growing grass. It's pointless. Um, it, you, you don't need it. I mean, right? It's, why do we need grassy lawns? It's, it's yeah. for truly aesthetic purposes. There's no, there's no rationale. And playing on it, go to a park or something, whatever. It doesn't yeah. matter. What I think my piece of advice for protecting water or enhancing the environment would be to vote and get people together and build a community and get your ass in office because then you can be the catalyst for change and then bring people with you and start supporting those efforts that you believe in and when someone trolls on you and makes you feel bad about yourself just don't don't give a rat's ass about that because you are the change agent. You and the community you surround yourself with are the change agents. And ignore the noise and everything else except for for your family, your friends, and, and those things. You know, ignore the noise and, and be the smallest change agent or the largest change agent you can possibly be. And you'll save the planet and water, which is mm. planet. Absolutely. I'm going to mirror what he said. And, and it's first, I would, I would tell, I tell everyone, go experience it. See it firsthand. Get your, your feet wet, literally. Enjoy that environment because you'll, it will become that much more important and more precious to you because now you, it, it's tangible. It's real. It's not just a picture. Uh, I know a picture is tangible, but you have that ability to, to feel and to breathe and to enjoy that moment at that place. So go experience it. Then come back and create a plan of action. Write it down. Use knowledge. Research. Knowledge is power. So learn how you can make a difference to be that change agent. Make that plan. Then find your community because there are others like us out there. It's not just us three. It's not just us 10, there are communities. And with, with the connectivity of people using social media, email, telephone, heck, there's so many ways to reach and to find a community. Go find a community. Then lead. Don't wait. Don't sit on your laurels. Lead and act with that knowledge, with that community. So go experience, create a plan, find your community, lead and act, and do it with knowledge. I agree with that. Yeah, I think there's there was a quote to build off of what Ryan said, and I try to use it, but I always butcher it, but it's, um, you protect the things you love, and you love the things you know. So getting your feet wet and being out in the environment and seeing these places, and what we're trying to do 
with our adventure hydrology approach is to bring you to these places, um, perhaps not physically, but at least um, you know, visually and hopefully emotionally, whether that's fun or upsetting or whatever it is. Once you understand a place, once you experience a place, you have a better chance to love it. And if you love it, you will save it because that's what we do. I love it. I think anybody that takes it upon themselves to to share and to educate is um, a very, very, very special person. And if everybody took it upon themselves to share and to educate, uh, the world would be in a much different position than it was today. So thank you for the work that you guys are doing. Uh, Adventure Hydrology is it's just it's a fantastic project. It's really awesome. Tell me, in fact, before we finish up, where are you going next together? What are you going to expose? Post-pandemic, right? Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, Ryan, where do you want to go? And then I'll say where I want to go, and then we'll, we'll flip a coin. <laughs> Anaconcagua, if I'm saying that right. Yeah, I'd like to go to South America and, and do uh, look at the cultures down there because there are a lot of it's still a developing area. There's still an opportunity for uh, those cultures to industrialize intelligently without polluting and destroying beautiful forests and to share the knowledge that we have here with them so that together we can build literally and figuratively a better world or a, a smarter, sustainable world. And I think they are a willing partner to do so. So that's why I'd like to go to the, uh, the American, Pan-American Trail, the, the Peruvian and Anaconcagua, which is also the tallest mountain in South America, which knocked that one off the, <laughs> put a notch on that belt. Oh, tallest in the Western oh. hemisphere. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, maybe I yeah. don't like want to go 22,000 feet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. I want it. I'll go. Come on down. Yeah, yeah. We need to get you some elevation training. But yeah, if you wanna, if you wanna go, I've heard the um, Tempranillo and Tapas is spot on in Argentina. Touche. So, how about um, you, Chris? Yeah, I, I like Aconcagua, but since since you use that, um, I think what would be awesome, what would be awesome is to go visit places that are being most affected by what we're doing. So, you know, I'd like to say Greenland or South Georgia Island, but I think it would also be really cool to go to Nepal or the Himalayan uh, mountains in general, wherever, to see the effect of um, China dam building or Indian dam building, and then go to somewhere like the Ganges, you know, this sacred river that that is not only the lifeblood of, of entire cities, but the holy value of, of an entire uh, religious culture. And it's one of the most polluted, and now it's going to be one of the most um, impacted rivers in the entire world, and and endangered river in the entire world, even though it's such an important river. So I, I kind of want to see those dynamics. You know, why mm. why is that happening? You know, Akin to the Colorado River out here, Ryan literally drinks the water from the river that I am trying to save from the people who surround it and and I drink from that too and it you know and to try to start exploring a little more of those stories and and why if we know all these things are happening why aren't we doing something about it and start really connecting those dots so that that would be fun yeah totally yeah cool well thank you um just tell people where can they find you 
you can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. We do post a lot of our videos and adventures on YouTube. That's where I, I recommend you go first because you can actually experience the adventures with us. And then again, I challenge you uh, to join us for these adventures. Go to the locations that we, we go to or reach out and we'll meet you there post-pandemic uh, because we want to share these experiences. Mm -hmm. We want to share knowledge. And uh, then go to Facebook. We post a lot of articles like the one Chris had mentioned from the BBC. So because knowledge is power, that is how we change and act as change agents with knowledge, not just guessing. And then finally, Instagram. We put pretty pictures there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go check out YouTube Venture Hydrology first. Go there first. And then, then the rest can be a trickle-down effect to use a water pun. Um, yeah, totally. And then, like Ryan said, you know, we've been asking people, we want, we want you to join us on an adventure. So, Rachel, we expect it from you now that we've been hanging out. We'll come Please. visit you, and then you come across the pond and visit us. And Done. Um, Don't dare me with this stuff. <laughs> I'm a done deal. It's a humble here. request. Yes. No, it's, <laughs> it's mandatory, not a humble, <laughs> mandatory request. Here's I would love to. Yeah. Guys, I would like the. I I think the, the the combination what you're both bringing to the table is is so unique, and yet it shouldn't be. Like we should be looking at things with a more global picture in the exact way that you're doing it. Uh, so I would be very honored uh, to come along to one of the sites and and soak up all that knowledge, water pun, uh, from you both face to face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, well done. Air work. high five. Yep. Uh. <laughs> Uh, finally, guys, who would you like to platform hmm. in the same way that Heather platformed you? Hmm. Um, you know, there's I have a couple of friends down in, in Texas who asked me to be on their podcast. I actually spoke at one of their really amazing events. They're building a community of like-minded individuals in the water industry, really focusing on you know the, the wastewater and water provider industry and the efforts there to protect and enhance the resources. So uh, the H2 duo, Stephanie and Ariane, um, it's all about connecting and building the community. Cool. And, and Rachel, I, I want to say thank you so much for what you're doing. Uh, you are giving a voice to so many people. Your voice is so powerful. We really appreciate you doing this, not, not with us. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, I yes, appreciate with that us too. as well. But yeah, don't, don't underplay that. That's, in general. That's been really fun. But yeah. Yes. In general, what you do is powerful. And you are a change agent, and it's been an honor to be on this this podcast with yeah. you. You do an amazing job. Oh God, job. no! It's 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 my honor and my pleasure. Thank you so 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 much for coming, and thank you as well for you know being a duo here and and helping me muddle through that, which is a very <laughs> different experience. Thank you for your patience, and thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, it's it's really 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 exciting to meet other people who are so how do I put this so empowered to go out and make a change and to inspire other people to do so so really it's my honor thank you thank you thank you our honor hello 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 you can find chris and ryan on instagram and youtube i will put all the links to all of their stuff in the show notes and before you go please don't forget to leave a five-star rating and subscribe to platform enterprise either on youtube or at www.platformenterprise.com Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. See you next week.